time to rest, time to refresh, no stress To the city point Giving him your best, nothing like the rest Passing every test, you know he's the one, yeah Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress To the city point Giving him your best, nothing like the rest Passing every test, you know he's the one, yeah Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress Yo, what's good, everybody? I am glad to be able to be back with you all one more time. This is our second installment of our series, Deconstructing the Bible. I hope that last week you were able to tune in. I hope I was able to put some things on your mind. Um, just uh, hoping to get us all to think critically about what we believe about the Bible. Um I want to jump into part two of this three-part series on this week. Once again, this week, I'm coming to y'all live and direct from the crib. Um, our team is doing a lot of a uh, lot of heavy lifting, getting ready for our May series. And we are uh, have switched to this, uh, this proactive approach of uh, doing our production a month ahead of time. And so with that, I'm trying to give our team a break so they can focus on all of the editing for the May series. So I am capturing sermon solo at the crib um, this Sunday, last Sunday, as well as the final Sunday of the year. But there shouldn't really be a dip in quality and uh, content for sure. So uh, let's jump uh, into a word of prayer and then we'll jump into the word. I want to I want to just have some conversation with y'all this week. Father, in Jesus name, we thank you for giving us a chance to dive into your word today. I pray that you will speak through me to these your people uh, in a way that is real and relevant. I pray, God, that you will speak truth through me to your people, um, honesty. And I pray, God, that we just will not be afraid to uh, to confront those um, confront those difficult things with the Bible and uh, the things that may be difficult with faith. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Um, so, again, the, the purpose of this series is not to destroy the Bible, but to get us to think critically regarding what we believe about Scripture. Uh, some end up leaving the faith. Um, because there was no space for them to do that critical work um, when they were in the church. There was no space for them to ask questions, uh, for them to struggle with some things that are very difficult when it comes to scripture. And so I want to create a space for that uh, during this series. I also want to say that um, I am uh, endeavoring to raise more questions than give answers during this series. And I know that that might be uncomfortable to some people. And so, first of all, let me name that. Let me name that that might be uncomfortable for some people. They, for some people, you come to church because you just want, you just want the answers. Just tell me what to believe. Um, and that is what we have traditionally done at City Point. Um, but I feel that God is up to a new thing. Um, and I think that um, we're in a unique space right now in the midst of a pandemic, a resetting uh, for us to begin to just stop and listen and hear what new thing God may be up to. And so what has been been pressing up on my heart very heavily, and I've just spent a lot of time uh, grappling with God and in prayer about this, is for us to think critically about what we believe, why we believe it. Uh, because uh, religion, Christianity in particular, but even religion from a broad perspective, uh, has the potential to do so much good, but then so much harm to people. And I think that we have to be very careful with how we use the Bible and how we use our religion 
Um, because if we are not careful, we can do harm to a whole lot of people. So I want us to dig in and I want us to do some deconstructive, uh, some deconstructive work. Um, I, I remember, let me start off uh, by saying this. I, I remember uh, when I went to a, I went to a symposium uh, to hear Dr. Brad Braxton at, um, at, I believe it was McCormick Theological Seminary. This was over a decade ago. And I remember kind of listening to some things throughout the lecture lecture and uh, some things didn't sit right with me. And so I had a conversation with him, not a long conversation, but just briefly uh, afterward to, you know, just as a young preacher, just trying to kind of understand his perspective on some things. And uh, and for me, like some of the things that he said did not square with my understanding of Scripture or understanding from Scripture. And so I uh, had this brief conversation with him, and I'll never forget these words that he said that have stuck with me since then. He says, you know, sometimes we have to make the Bible behave. And I remember as, you know, someone who was all of about maybe 29 years old at the time, I, I remember like walking away from that conversation and that sitting like, very sullen, very down, very, very bothered, right, by what he had said. And I remember coming home with a very heavy heart um, when he said, you know, sometimes we have to make the Bible behave. Um, in hindsight, what bothered me was that I perceived um, was that what I had perceived was that by him advocating for, in, in essence, like corralling the Bible, that he was somehow saying that we need to corral God. You see, for me, at age 29, there was no space between God and the Bible. The two were nearly the same, right? If I were to have articulated it then and for most of my life, uh, having come into contact with like biblical scholarship, like I was um, raised early on as a preacher, very much evangelical, very much Baptist, very much, quote unquote, orthodox as it relates to related to Christianity. Um, and so the Bible is infallible. The Bible is in it is inerrant or without error, without mistake. Like it is it is as perfect as God is perfect. Um, and so if you had asked me at the time, like the Bible was almost like a fourth person of the Trinity. Right. Like it's God, the father, the son, the Holy Spirit and the Bible. And, and for I think for many of us, it is still that case. And I, I just want to push up against that. Right. I am not trying to, like, destroy anybody's faith, destroy anybody's belief system. But but I, I want to raise questions. I want to push because we're in a time right where demographically in our country, like it is, if not under 50 percent, close to 50 percent. Right. Only of people in this country identify as Christian. Um, there's something that we're doing wrong. Right. Um, we we have talked for a long time about like, oh, it's just that like people want to live in sin. And so that's why fewer and fewer people are Christians. I take issue with that. I think there needs to be a critical look at what we're doing in the churches, what we believe, um, what we are dogmatic about uh, and whether those things are our God or if we have made those things, those traditions, if we have made those things God uh, by themselves. Um and so in thinking back about that incident with um, with Dr. Braxton, I, I would say that over the years, I have slowly begun to understand what he meant, right, about like sometimes, 
We have to make the Bible behave. And what he was effectively saying is that we have to be careful how we use it, how we interpret it, what we leverage it to do. And some of the challenge with that, some of the problem is that we have this book, this this what I believe is a sacred text. But but we do not have, you know, specific insight from God on how we are to use the book. Right. We have insights from the book and from other people's interpretation of the book regarding how we are to use it. And, And there is a spectrum right across the Christian faith. Right. There's this spectrum of belief regarding how we are to use this sacred text. For some, they are literalists, they are fundamentalists, and they believe that like every single line, every single thing from the scripture ought to be followed and every single thing is accurate and correct. It is from the very mouth of God. And there's some people on the other end of the spectrum that believe differently. I want us to begin to think critically about where do you not, not us as City Point Community Church, but where do you as an individual believer uh, who is indwelled by the Holy Spirit, who has discernment, who has her or his relation, own relationship with God? Where are you on this spectrum and why do you believe what you believe? I, I want to uh, push for a moment on something that I said a few moments ago. I mentioned that once upon a time in my life, there was no space between God and the Bible, right? The two were like one and the same. I want you to think about this for a second. God has always existed from eternity, but the Bible has not existed from eternity. Uh, God is our creator and God is the sustainer of the universe. The Bible is not the creator and the Bible is not the sustainer of the universe. Uh, um, God is the one to whom we pray, the one who answers our prayers, that that is who God is and how God manifests God's self to us. That that is not what the Bible is. The Bible is a text. If I had a Bible with me right now, I could take that Bible. I could place it over here. Once I place that Bible over here, I am not placing God over here. Bible can be confined by space and time. God cannot be confined by space and time. The, the Bible um, is a collection of stories written by human beings. Regardless of what you believe about inspiration, some human being sat down with parchment and pen and wrote those words. And so in a very real sense, A human being played a part in the creation of that. Human beings played a part in the Council of Nicaea coming together to decide which book should be considered sacred, which of all of the the collection of writings should be considered sacred. Human beings played a participatory role in making that decision. Human beings did not play a participatory role in creating God. Right. So what I'm seeking to do here is to just push against this notion. Maybe some of you are at that place that I used to be of where the Bible is almost a fourth person of the Trinity. But I want you to think critically for a moment and and establish this fact that the Bible is not God. Right. There is a word for this. This word is bibliolatry. Right. It is effectively this worshiping of the Bible, this uh, making of the Bible a, um, a a deity, 
as as we do God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And I think we have to be very, very careful with that. I'm going to read you a passage of scripture from Joshua chapter 10, uh, chapter 10 verses 12 through 14, um, and it'll frame up the rest of what I want to share with uh, with you all today. It says in verse uh, verse 12, I'm reading from the uh, the contemporary English English version, the contemporary English version. Uh, verse 12 says the Lord was helping the Israelites defeat the Amorites that day. So about noon, Joshua prayed to the Lord loud enough for the Israelites to hear. Our Lord, make the sun stop in the sky over Gibeon and the moon stand still over Ajalon Valley. So the sun and the moon stopped and stood still until Israel defeated its enemies. This poem can be found in the book of Jashar. The sun stood still and didn't go down for about a whole day. Never before and never since has the Lord done anything like that for someone who prayed. The Lord was really fighting for Israel. The word of God for the people of God. There is um, a sermon that rose to major popularity um, in the late 1800s. Uh, this sermon is by the Reverend John Jasper. Um, the Reverend John Jasper writes this sermon called The Sun Do Move, the celebrated theory of the sun's rotation around the earth. It's in 1878 that he writes this sermon and over 270 times he preaches it. Uh, he um, has his start as a slave preacher. He is also the son uh, of, excuse me, an enslaved preacher. He is also the son of an enslaved preacher, um, both of whom had their start at preaching on plant on a plantation. And so by the time that he writes this sermon, the sun do move. He is no longer enslaved. He is free. Uh, it is 1878 at this point. He is the founder of the sixth Mount, Mount Zion Church in Virginia. Uh, this sermon, he uses this sermon to effectively um, make the case against the scientific um, claim that um, the earth rotates uh, around the sun rather than the sun moving around the earth. The way that he makes this claim or, 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 or refutes the scientific claim is through using scripture. In his mind, the Bible is the word of God. The Bible is inerrant. The Bible is infallible. It is as true as any word that we receive from God. And so based on that premise, anything in it that is stated should be, should be taken as absolute literal fact, right? This is the way that he understands one should use the Bible. And so this sermon becomes wildly popular. He gets invited to travel all over the country uh, preaching this particular sermon, The Sun Do Move. I want to read to you an excerpt from The Sun uh, The Sun Do Move. The excerpt is written in um, what is considered to be the vernacular. And so if I stumble over some words uh, or pronounce some words in a certain way, it's not because I'm um, making fun of any dialect, but it, it's because of the way that it is written. So here's one of the closing parts of his uh, of his sermon. 
According to the text, text, Joshua showed in the sight of all Israel that the sun do move because he stopped it by God's command for a whole day, as the text states. If he stops, stopped it, that proves that the sun were moving and moving over Joshua and the Amorites. And of course, they were nowhere else than on this here earth. And consequently, it were moving around the earth. And after the battle were over, it began moving again in its regular course. Therefore, it is proven that the sun do move around the earth. Now, then this great fact of the sun's rotation may be illustrated by many powerful texts in the Bible. I will confine myself to the most striking ones. Notice Malachi chapter one, verse 11, and that come from God's own mouth. And there can be no proper authority than God's authority with his own lips. He said, for from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. What strikes us here is that the sun do move. My name shall be great among the Gentiles. And we people of today is the Gentiles. That is evidence that the sun do move for it's God that says it. And take Ecclesiastes first chapter fifth verse. The sun also ariseth and the sun goeth down and hasteth to his place where he arose. There in evidence that he arose, but if he had not done left that place, he could not, he could not haste to where he arose. That is an excerpt from the sun do move. I, I want to push us for a second. And I, I, I hope that this is what you can see here from, uh, from, from the use of this text, right? From what I just shared with you all. And also from the Joshua text um, that I shared with you all earlier. It is absolutely possible to leverage the word in a way that uh, Reverend John Jasper leverages the word um, as inerrant and as infallible, such that if I read something in scripture that appears to be in contradiction to some other fact, then it is scripture that breaks the, that that breaks the tie or literally there is no tie because scripture is authority. When you and I, right, when we read this passage in Joshua chapter 10, when we read a passage about the sun moving and the sun not moving or the sun stopping, what we understand from reading it is that, hey, the writer believed that what happened, believed or or this person's interpretation of what happened was that the sun, which seems to start over east in the morning, um, and uh, and then by the evening, it is on the west side um, that the sun moves. This is the perspective perspective of the writer of Joshua. And so when they record the event, when they talk about the event, they are talking about the event from their perspective, from the filter of their understanding. This is what they are talking about. Now, now their understanding does not refute the fact or their misunderstanding does not refute the fact that God indeed, right, made from the visible uh, experiential standpoint of people standing on earth, that during that time while Joshua uh, and, and the army was army of Israel were fighting the war, that during that time, there was no movement seemingly of the sun. 
Does not take away the fact that God did that. Does not take away God's miracle. But what it does suggest is that the perception in this passage is a, um, if I were an artist, I would call this like a worm's eye view rather than a God's eye view, right? A God's eye view would understand that the sun didn't move. It was the earth that moves. And as a result of the earth moving, we believe that we see the sun start on one side and then end on the other side. Right. And so what we what we begin to what we begin to do right when we dissect and deconstruct passages like this is we begin to ask questions such as, uh, okay, if. If the Bible is indeed without error, if the Bible is indeed infallible, why is it that I can clearly point to things that are errors within it? Why can I point to things that don't line up with each other? If we want to place the gospel narratives next to each other, that there's some perspectives that Matthew may have that Mark sees a little bit differently, or there's some things that, that Luke writes about, but Matthew sees a bit differently, right? Like it is, it, it is this fact that individuals as human beings are writing and these people are not God, but these people are, are writing. They're very sacred. They're very religious. They're very Christian or they're very Jewish experiences with God through the lens of their own experience, through their own life experience, through their own context. As we talked about last week, through their character and their understanding of the world and these things they are writing for a particular purpose. Let me suggest to you also that 2,000, 10,000, 20,000 years later, we don't always know exactly who was the initial audience and what was the initial purpose um, for which they wrote these things. And so here's one thing that I want to submit to you that I want to propose. Perhaps we are not to look at the Bible as this absolutely um, inerrant, infallible thing. And it's okay to do that because remember, the Bible ain't God. God is God. The Bible is not God. But it is okay for it to not be without error, for it not to be without mistakes, right? Because, you know, this is not a, a book that was in bound together and in circulation from the beginning right? That there are no copy machines in antiquity, right? Like people painstakingly copy these things down. And oftentimes they were dictated um, out loud and, and multiple people were copying it down. And sometimes like if you look at the older manuscripts, you might find one manuscript and another manuscript. And these two manuscripts are not exactly the same because two different people or eight different people were making copies of the manuscripts. And so it is possible, right, that as we leverage the Bible, that we perhaps should not be leveraging it as a line by line by line, absolute literal interpretation of every single small thing that is there. But perhaps we ought to be looking at it as a meta narrative, as a grand story. As Jesus talks about, Jesus says that, that, that the whole Old Testament, the law and the prophets, they all point to me. 
Perhaps we ought to be looking at it as a, a grand meta narrative that points us and that leads us to Jesus in whom we find salvation by grace alone through faith alone. And that is the solid and sure foundation on which we hang our eternal hope. But now as to whether or not the sun moves or, or whether or not the earth rotates, perhaps the Bible should not be our authority on whether or not that is the case or which one is the case. What exactly should be a woman's role in the church and in the household? Perhaps when we look at the Bible as a grand narrative, as a meta narrative, then we are no longer looking line by line at small scriptures like what, what is happening within a patriarchal society and what Paul um, um prescribes for a particular small local congregation in Ephesus, what he describes or prescribes should happen for Timothy should not be what we decide for an entire 2000 years. This is the role of women within the church. These are the roles of women within the family. Perhaps we should not be using it to sanction slavery just because Paul says slaves obey your masters. I want to push you to just think critically. Because I think I think when we begin to think this way, it allows the Bible to perhaps be more free to give us the life that I think it intended was always intended to give us. If it does not need to be infallible, if it does not need to be without error, but truly meant to be a sacred text inspired by God, a sacred text where godly people wrote their thoughts, their experiences, the things that had happened in their lives, their theological reflections about God. If, if, if the Psalms don't have to be scriptures and promises on which I have to hang my hat and, and all of my hope in life, you know, we talk about like he who abides in the shelter of the almighty. I, I struggle with that text when all those people in Charleston, South Carolina were in the house of the Lord in the shelter of the almighty. And some racists went in there and sat with them for Bible study and then murdered nearly everybody that was in there. It's tough to put our experience in conversation with scripture when scripture has to be taken absolutely literally all of it applicable to all of us across times and across contexts and without error and infallible. It's tough. It's tough to reconcile our experiences with life and God and this idea that we need to be able to hang our hats on all of these promises in scripture. Yeah. If the Psalms, on the other hand, are songs, poems, reflections written by godly man like David and others, the sons of Korah and others, as they reflected on God, just like you and I reflect on God. And perhaps the men, their relationship relationships with God look different than ours. Maybe in some ways it looked the same as ours, but these are their reflections on God. And thinking about God, one day the psalmist sits down and writes, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
When the wicked, even my enemies, came to devour my flesh, they stumbled and fell. But that is that is that person's reflection, just like uh, some of uh, Jonathan McReynolds reflections have made their way into music that have blessed our souls. But we are hanging our hats and our hopes on a song because that is John's reflection on God. Perhaps we ought to look at the Psalms that way as a collection uh, of reflections on God that people over centuries, over millennia have used to um, to build up hope in the midst of chaos, um, to reflect on the bigness of God, on the trustworthiness of God. But not to mean that any time an enemy comes up against us, they will stumble and fall. In that church in Charleston, South Carolina, the enemy came up against them and did not stumble and fall. In, 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 in Christian households around the country, enemies are coming up against them and not stumbling and falling, but lives are being taken. I want to push us because perhaps this gives us a freedom, an ability to enjoy, ability to love to enjoy God differently, to engage with God differently, to not have to worry about being apologists for his word, but being able to be witnesses for his word, right? It may not all be without error and it may not have all ever meant to be infallible and, and it is not God and it is not to be, be worshiped, but I'll tell you what, my witness is when I can't go to sleep at night because I'm worried, I, I can pick up these psalms and, and I can I can read them that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I can read the end of that. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that gives me hope and that gives me peace. Yeah, that testimony is worth hanging on to. So, so again, y'all, I, I, I hope that during this time I have been able to push you. I have been able to. Uh, to challenge you in very good ways. That That's all I'm looking to do. Look, I'm not looking to take your Bible away and I'm not looking to take your hope in our God away. But I am looking to get us to think critically about what we believe. So we're not looking like fools out there because we have never uh, interrogated, wrestled with what we believe and why we believe it. Let me submit to you also that we ain't all got to believe the same thing. We don't even have to believe the same thing to be a part of the same church community. No, we don't. We absolutely don't. The foundation that we do need to all believe is about a Jesus who really was God in the flesh, who really did live a sinless life, who really did go to Calvary's cross, who really did die there, who really was buried. But as the preacher would say, uh, on the third day, early on Sunday morning, he got up from the grave. That is the foundation, the basis of our faith. And that is that is the confession through which we are saved. The rest of it, we are figuring out. Paul says, um, now I know in part, then I shall know fully. Right. Paul's talking about heaven like later on. Then I'll know fully just as I am fully known. Paul says right now, I see as. I see dimly as through a mirror. It's through a looking glass. And see, we're talking about not a clear mirror like we have right now, but just a, a looking glass that gives a, just a pale, just a, a dim reflection. That is what Paul says. That, that's what I got right now. It's just that. 
Let us pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you so much uh, for giving us this chance to come together um, to interrogate what we believe about your word. I pray, God, that you will um, that you will secure us soundly in the faith, in the foundational truth that brings us salvation about sin, about repentance, about Jesus, death and resurrection. Secure us in that, God, and help us to wrestle faithfully with the rest. God, free us up to love you, to serve you, to serve one another, to honor one another. Free us up to do that. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Yo, that's the word. Um, anybody wants to connect, chat, uh, there is information coming up on the screen. We can connect one-on-one for a chat. I know this is tough for this to be one way and not have dialogue, but I would love to be able to connect with you one-on-one. Um, the slides coming up um, to show you how you can um, just link up with me, schedule some time, and we can talk, we can dialogue, uh, talk a bit about um, these passages, maybe some other things that you might be wrestling with um, as it relates to scripture. Um, and I, I'd be glad to be able to go through those things with you. I love you all. And uh, that's that word for today. Peace.